Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. You know, one thing I appreciate about this podcast is we're willing to talk about the things that most people are unwilling to talk about. It, it is, you know, it's kind of scary uh, in a way because, you know, uh, we might get canceled or something. But no. we, we would get canceled. Uh, how would we get canceled? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it could happen, I guess. Yeah, I've been canceled before. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. multiple times. Legitimate canceled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wear it as a badge of honor. Yeah, I, I think in some ways. I don't ways. know if I could actually, I probably shouldn't tell that whole No. Nah. No, I won't tell that nah. story. Yeah. Well, why don't we yeah. start this way in saying it is a, an incredible honor and privilege to sit with people who can depend on confidentiality, whether that be at a, a men's weekend or in a counseling session, and to hear just the nitty-gritty details about how their life is going or how a couple's life is going, it's one of the parts of this job that I enjoy so much. Mm. Uh, it just requires so much trust for someone to let down their guard and talk about the things that they most likely haven't talked about with anyone maybe their entire adult life. You know, it's like the the inner workings of, of human beings. Is, it really is. It's fascinating. Um, and, you know, I think you know, those of us that, that are good at it, uh, certainly you, uh, I, I, I think I am uh, uh, for the most part. Uh, but, you know, we, we take really kind of this non-judgmental uh, stance yeah. to where, like, you know, I mean, I... I've heard a lot. There's, there's. I don't want to say there's nothing somebody could tell me that somehow I would be shocked. I, I've heard a lot. Right. Uh, I don't think I would. Uh, and, but it's just amazing how when you can do that, how people really begin to open up. And then uh, the thing that you see is like all the stuff that we've all done in some way, shape, or form. You know, there's a reason for every behavior. Yeah. Everything begins to make sense in context. Uh, and if we can uh, just simply kind of uh, maintain an attitude of acceptance, mm. yeah, people people will begin to open up. But it, it it's rare where they have the opportunity to do that. Yeah, and it almost has to begin contractually. You know, oh, yeah. this is a contract and we know the parameters here. But eventually what's so great is over time we see that expand out into a person's relational world mm. outside of just something that's a contract and inside of community, yeah. which is why it's so important for us to keep those lanes of community open where people can build community with like-minded people that are willing to be honest about difficult topics, we would say, Uh Embarrassing topics, I think, yeah. is maybe a more accurate well, descriptor. Well, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's the shame, uh, you know, mm. up underneath any kind of acting out, if we call it addiction, I don't know, pick a name. Mm. Uh, but, you know, there, there's shame, anger, resentment, and control. Uh, those four things are present. And I separate anger and resentment uh, because, uh, man, that resentment, especially when we're dealing with like sexual acting out, sexual betrayal, uh, there's typically a resentment factor towards the spouse, whether it's the woman acting out or the man acting out. It doesn't matter. That resentment 
factors there. And it is a way that like, okay, you, you won't listen to me. Uh, you're always controlling. Whatever story we've got in our head, uh, the resentment is the driver that's like, okay, well, I deserve this. I'll show you. And so it's a, so much of a passive, aggressive form of acting out resentment towards the other. Mm. We often call it eroticized rage. Yeah. That's what it is. Absolutely. That hurt people hurt people and they will even use sex to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, which is a thing that most people don't talk about. <laughs> no, no. Nobody's going to talk about that. Right. Well, I mean, when you look at the title of this podcast, you're like, sex. Uh, okay. Uh, yes, please. I don't know. Where is this headed? And then you get to God, you're like, well, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> the, uh, the chaos certainly makes sense when you talk about either one of those topics. So today what we'd like to do is just mm. slow the pace down a little bit, drill down on something very specific that you and I have seen over and over as we have sat with people, and it is arousal mm. and the arousal template. And people saying to their spouse, I don't know, I'm just not, I don't feel like, I'm not in the mood, you know, and all these things that roll out and start to cause a lot of chaos in the relational dynamic. But we'd like to take some time just to describe what is an arousal template, what affects your arousal template, what effects do your arousal template have on a relationship, how to correct those things if external forces like pornography have affected that arousal template. Uh, so we're going to do some pretty intricate work today. A lot of you talking, a lot of us listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I have people in your um, your probably starting to get this too. Even as a pastor, you probably got the question of like, man, how do you how do you hear people telling you hard things all day yeah. or something? Yeah. And, um, you know, my answer now is, man, you know, it is life-giving. When people begin to open up about things they've never told any other human being, I mean, what a privilege, what an honor, what a sacred space. Agreed. Um, and and it it is life giving. I mean, I it 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 gives me energy. The thing that sucks my energy is is sitting with um, people that are not willing to do that, where they're very surfacey, mm. uh, where they don't talk about anything, and it's like you know uh, a fake book life. Man, that's draining. For yeah, me. it is. I yeah. just, I can't. I honestly, I, I don't. It's like ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, it, it just sucks the life out of me. Especially if you committed to a life of honesty, it represents oh. like uh, this black hole, like this pull back to a former life. Yeah, that, that almost makes you sick to your stomach. Oh yeah. man, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. That's life-sucking, not life-giving. Yeah. Yeah. So when an individual and or a couple uh, sit in your office and they start talking about very specific details about arousal and sex in, in, in their marital life or in their sexual experience, even as single people, that's one of those things where like all systems go, you oh, know, yeah. whatever may have been distracting you as a yeah, helper yeah. is like, I mean, whoa, yeah. this is very, very sacred space. Yeah. Uh, so I think this episode is an effort to maybe let people know that's a possibility to sit with someone and to talk about those things, even as uh, words that I hear a lot are strange, bizarre, broken, weird, uh, even those things to sit down and talk with someone and to feel that level of acceptance can be very healing. Oh, yeah. Just... I mean, you know, we always say there's three nuclear landmines in marriage, and those three things are money, sex, and in-laws. 
And, and <laughs> you know, some couples have all three of those landmines in place. Yeah, at uh, one address. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and boy, uh, but, you know, this sex thing, uh, even I, you know, we often talk about it in the sense, uh, you know, we've got two certifications in sex addiction work. Uh, we're also uh, clinical associates uh, with the American Board of Christian Sex Therapists. Uh, that's on the what we would call the healthy side of sexuality. Uh, so we work on both sides of the spectrum. You know, kind of the the hard stuff, the difficult stuff um, in in the sexual brokenness arena, and certainly the goal is moving towards healthy sexuality, specifically Christian healthy sexuality. Because I mean, we tell people uh, I've I've like this idea of going to a sex therapist mm. is a dangerous proposition. Uh, Agreed. That's why we always say we are Christian sex therapists. It's very different. Um, I mean, even the crazy old lady back in the day, you know, Doctor Ruth uh, was held out as some yeah. kind of sex expert or something. Uh, I mean, there's been you know, there's been a a bunch of those, and I can remember thinking, uh, as even a middle schooler, yeah. seeing seeing her, thinking, "This lady, yeah, yeah, exactly." <laughs> and then you know some of the stuff that she would say. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's not coming from where we're coming from, and that is certainly a biblical worldview, yeah, uh, a faith based, integrated approach with clinical counseling, because this idea of sex is fraught with peril. Uh, and you just look around at our culture today and we see, again, kind of our, our podcast title, Sex, God, and Chaos, but we see the chaos that has ensued from kind of this free fall with sex that started in the 60s and the sexual revolution. It goes back to even prior to that, Sigmund Freud uh, and then Dr. Alfred Kinsey and kind of this... Uh, the birth of the porn industry uh, uh, right? yeah, in America. Hefner, yeah, all of it that is like Jupiter aligned with Mars. And, you know, at this point, uh, we're in the middle of the greatest uh, social experiment ever unleashed on humankind with just internet pornography. And um, what what's happening because of that uh, and where we are. And, I mean, it is changing sexual norms. It's changing everything. But, you know, it started really back with, you know, Freud came along and all these others along the way that have paved the way for just ultimate chaos in in a society that's disconnected, devoid of of the divine creator. Mm. And anything outside of the, the created order um, is always problematic. So let's and, talk about this for a second. Yeah. Let's just like pause here because I can tell that our listeners are like, whoa, yeah. this feels like a different episode. Uh, so as we're talking about pornography, the prevalence of pornography, we're talking about arousal templates. These are real things that are affecting real people in real relationships. And one of the partners is consuming copious amounts of pornography and finds himself in a real-life sexual situation uh, with their partner, with their spouse, and is unable to be aroused enough to actually engage in sex and attempts to solve that by going to a GP and getting a drug. Oh, yeah. Uh, right? And we even now have um, porn-induced erectile dysfunction is a real thing. Yeah. That's a thing that's happening. So just 
in an effort to kind of normalize the complexity of these problems and the origination point that you're talking about with Hugh Hefner and rolling back to the ideas that led to that, uh, it's a huge machine, a machine that makes an incredible amount of money worldwide, especially in the United States and especially inside of, I think we could say Christian communities in oh, the yeah. United States based on Barna's research. So these are things that are affecting people at a very deep level that we need to bring into the light so that we can help couples, individuals move past this arousal template problem that was most likely introduced into their story at a very young age. Yeah, that's the heartbreaking part. It's, you know, every guy that I've ever worked with, uh, me included, uh, has said, man, if I could go back, you know, knowing what I know today, mm -hmm. you know, when I was that eight-year-old, nine-year-old little boy that, that came and found the pornography, dude, I'd have been like Joseph running out of the room with Potiphar's wife. Right? Oh, boy, yeah. I would have run for my life. E I, even to prison. Yeah, yeah. Anywhere but here. <laughs> yeah, whatever, man. Get me out of here, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, what we what we all figured out is just the long-term, kind of the destructive effects mm -hmm. of this habit that was normalized. And, you know, we got sold this snake oil that, like, well, it's no big deal. doesn't harm anybody. Um, and, and you know, you know, dad's doing it, whatever everybody's doing it and then we wind up uh, it, and it affected our thinking uh, it affected the, our view of women uh, it affected our self-esteem there there's so much of how it plays out and now you know research is coming out uh, this is no longer just a moral issue now it's a research-based scientific fact that this is really a public health crisis uh that's where we are today mm. um and there's there's just it's not getting any better um and so all of this stuff and then how it contributes into the distorted thinking of how sex is supposed to be yeah. in a committed long-term married relationship well, that's where you, we see a lot of problems because I've got this distorted view. Um, and then you get into, you know, gosh, the mechanics and the positions and, you know, the couples want to, like, ask about this and that. And, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think we're a PG-rated podcast. No, no. Uh, but one of the things, you know, that, that things come up and couples will ask about, uh, they'll ask about anal sex. Mm -hmm. in, Oral sex. Yeah, oral yeah. sex. All the different mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and, you know, we, we we have conversations about that. And like anal sex, you know, where even I come down with that, uh, there are some even Christian counselors that talk about, well, if it's, you know, uh, both if it's agreeable, consensual, and mutual, then anything goes. Well, we just call BS on that because, you know, that, you know, particular act uh, is is it just it's straight out of porn mm. um, and it, it's not natural uh, it it's not um, we always say it needs to be natural and organic um, and so uh, you, when you think about that uh, the the wife can't naturally perform anal sex on the husband mm. oral sex is different yeah. right yeah and again that's just I don't you know gosh we'll get uh, yeah 
cover your children's ears. How many children are listening to a podcast called Sex Cloud? Let's hope okay. if we are being played in the in the carpool line, it's before the children are picked up, right? That, that's the goal. Yeah, yeah. But that's you taking the dive into those sort of conversations that are really important They're but real. operate in the shadows, right? Oh, yeah. And can cause an incredible amount of pain and confusion oh, just the inside strife. a relationship. Yeah, yeah even, even frequency around sex you know, the, 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 the argument about frequency is just, I mean, that is very normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's sometimes, I mean, it's not just always the man that wants more sex. We've seen it uh, where the role is reversed. It, it's kind of a myth that, you know, men have this, you know, a man's sexual drive, his libido is always higher than the, the wife. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not true. Right. Sometimes the wife has a higher sex drive. That doesn't make her, I won't go into the names that women get called. Yeah. Uh, she just, she has a higher sex drive. Uh, that, that just not anything abnormal. It's not bad. Uh, the man has a lower sex drive. It's okay. But that's a common myth. Uh, there's so many of those. You know, one of the common myths is that, you know, men just want sex. Women, they just want to talk. Well, that's not true either. No. Um, there are women that actually like and enjoy sex with their husbands. Uh, that's very healthy. Right. Uh, but the norm is, you know, it's kind of like the, the women's Bible study group gets together and the wives are sharing and, you know, one wife says, oh, gosh, my husband just, he just wants to have sex all the time. It just drives me crazy. And if a wife that actually likes having sex with her husband and enjoys that, she hears that, and then all the other women join in, and she's sitting there going, oh, dear, I guess maybe I shouldn't like sex with my husband. Right. right? I mean, it, you know, peer, I mean, influenced by peers, uh, that, that happens over the lifespan. If if we're not aware that, like, you know, something is like, it's like I'm thinking I'm not okay because other people that are really not okay are saying things. Are being loud about yeah, not yeah, being okay. That I take as normal. Right. Uh, or, oh gosh, something's wrong with me. But, you know, these things play out in so many different ways. And again, um, you know, we, we've had lots of experience and lots of training. And uh, it's just one of these areas that we're not afraid to sit and talk with a couple about because we know it needs to be talked about because it's such a an area of, of just strife and contention in a marriage, or at least it can be. Correct, yeah. It yeah. is impacting the marriage for sure. Oh, yeah. One and, way or the other. And so often, you know, couples will just, they'll avoid even having a conversation about it. It's one of the things that we tell couples, you know, the key to like just a healthy, uh, wonderful sex life, it's communication, um, and, and actually talking about these things, like, you know, when you touch me there, that feels really good. Mm. I like that. So many couples, they don't even know that about the other person. Isn't that um, crazy? It's like they, yeah. they make sure all the lights are off, close the door, don't say anything. Uh, and I, evidently they have sex because they've got some kids, unless, <laughs> unless there's a lot of little Jesuses walking around. Maybe they were all immaculately conceived. I don't know. But it's like, how did these kids get here? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Through all this dysfunction. Uh, right? Well, and it's, you know, we 
uh, the, I mean, the, most couples have uh, just kind of the sexual dance. Uh, you throw the hint out. Mm-hmm. The hint gets accepted or not accepted. Then we're rejected. Uh, but really what it is, it, it's, we're still operating around sex as adolescent, teenage girls and boys. Uh, we haven't grown up. We've not matured because we don't know how. I mean, growing up, most people, what you get is, you know, especially in Christian, you know, sex is bad. It's dirty. Save it for the person you love and marry. Always, and don't ever talk about it I always afterwards. love that. Yeah. So, okay, the person I love the most I'm going to spend my life with, well, okay, it's bad and dirty, so I need to save it for them. Okay, yeah. I got it. I got, got it. it. Got right. it, yeah. yeah. What the crap? Well, and that's really a, a, a huge message, <laughs> yeah. right, that is uh, rampant in uh, our culture well, today. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because it creates even this mindset that somehow it's bad and it's dirty. Mm. And so you're automatically, uh, it's like you've got kudzu starting to grow around the barn. And eventually shame is the kudzu and it just covers the barn. And and there's typically so much shame around our sex, around sexuality on both sides of the fence, uh, the husband and the wife, because they've never really looked at it. They've never talked about it. And nobody's ever talked about it with them. So they just, we come up with ideas in our head based on, you know, Hollywood romance movies and, and the music that we hear, the TV shows that we watch. Now just think about that for just a minute. Oh, and a half, man. Right. Yeah. Wow. I've got a, at home, I've got a 15 and a 12 year old, and we're watching a lot of spy movies <laughs> these days, which is awesome. Yeah. We traded the cartoons for James Bond, yes. which was great. Uh, but one thing that we do during these movies is that when we get to the the sex scene, there's always one. Uh, I pause it and I say, how many days ago did these people meet? Oh, yeah. And That's it's, great. It's, it's, you know, two days ago, one day ago, <laughs> yeah, yeah. five minutes yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's right. And I'm sure to point out to my sons, like, that's not actually how that works. Right. right. This, this is Hollywood. Right. And this is going to look sensational over the next couple of minutes. These people don't even know each other. Trust me, that's not how this works, right? <laughs> so we're, we're starting to have these conversations, but we talk about this word a lot on this podcast, uh, silence. Mm. And growing up in my home, my parents are beautiful people, but this is one of the things we just didn't talk about. I don't know why. I still don't know why, mm. but it was very silent in our home growing up. And that did some things that sent me down some trails to try to figure out information. And they were not very reputable sources, right? Like my friend, Rick, uh, who's 12, he's not really the source. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, the the friend Rick is usually not going to be helpful. Tell me how sex works. Right. (laughs) Uh, but what happens is over time we develop uh, and each of us, I think this is what's most important about what you're saying, is we have these individual ideas about sex, about what arouses us. Sometimes those things uh, are influenced by very negative things. And then we get involved with a marriage where we just feel like we can't talk about those things. And tragically, we have people participating uh, in their relationships sexually in positions and being touched in ways that they don't actually enjoy, Mm -hmm. but they feel like they can't be vocal about that. And then we have this reduced desire to engage in that activity altogether because it includes those things. And if we were able to have a very honest conversation about what arouses us, then a lot of those things would dissipate, right? That's how that works, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
you know, it's just, I mean, we sit with so many couples and, you know, the hardest the thing to work with, I think, um, or at least one of them, is is a guy that is, um, I, I, will, I will term it this way, even though I don't like the term sex addict, uh, but he's, he's a full-blown sex addict within the marriage. Mm. Uh, he's not acting outside of the marriage, but, I mean, he is... Uh, absolutely addicted uh, in every sense of the word to sex in his marriage with his wife. And it, it it's so hard um, getting a guy to see that. And oftentimes, you know, that's the good Christian couple. Um, oh, and, yeah. And she is uh, just, she's, she's worn out. She's tired. Uh, she knows she's being used, and she's trying to speak into it. And, of course, he's using the, you know, the good old, you know, taking some scripture out of context mm. and uh, all of that. And, man, that that is one of the, that's one of the hardest scenarios in this work that we do. Incredibly pervasive. That yeah. The, um, I, I know this is maybe a risky term here, <laughs> but it's one that I've used that's connected with couples. Um, the male is using often a vaginal validation method. Yeah. You know, that's how I feel validated as a man. Yeah. And it's your job to validate me that way as a man. Oh, yeah. We, we will, sometimes we use the term vaginal masturbation. Zero connection. It's yeah, all physical. Yeah, it's just a release. Uh, it's nothing more. And he is simply uh, trying to deal with his own anxiety, uh, trying to reduce his emotional distress by going to acting out. And mm-hmm. it is full-blown acting out because sex devoid of emotional connection, hmm, it, it's not intimacy. It's not true intimacy. And it, it will um, certainly... Uh, do a number on a marriage. And that's why these things are so important to talk about Mm. Um, because uh, over the long term, a wife that's being used in that way, she's going to wind up being a pretty angry, resentful woman. Yeah, who wouldn't? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and it makes sense. Uh, She should be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, these things have to be talked about uh, and certainly in the right place and right time. Um, and it, but we just see so often, um, you, you know, and then the husband is asking for, you know, certain acts to be performed yep. and the wife may not be comfortable with that because we say everything in a healthy marriage is mutual. Uh, and that's true when it comes to the sexual part of the relationship. Mutuality is the key to a healthy, healthy marriage. Um, and so, those are things that have to be talked about. Um, and, you know, oftentimes the wife, she may be dealing with body image issues and uh, she, you know, the only way she can have sex, the lights are off and uh, the husband, you know, men are visual and he want, he loves her body, but in mm-hmm. her head she thinks uh, she's overweight. Um, and so, you know, that's a problem, right? Because now you've got two people uh, that that are like, you know, this wonderful gift that God gives us of sex inside the confines of marriage, uh, the way it's designed to be. Uh, and yet now we've got all this, you know, strife. Uh, there's conflict around it. Uh, and that's why we believe it, it's one of those areas in, of the relationship that has to be dealt with and talked about because, boy, it will kill a relationship. No doubt about it. Yeah. So my follow-up question to that is, how do you talk about it? Oh yeah. Uh, how, how do you talk about this? Yeah. 
maybe triggering your spouse beyond belief or going to a place of shame that you're bringing, bringing it up. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine husband or wife talking about this particular part of sex is just not fun for me. Yeah. Fulfilling for me. Oh, yeah. That conversation feels like you would say it and then duck under the table. <laughs> so oh, we, yeah. we need to, I think, talk about what it looks like for that conversation to happen in a healthy way. Yeah. You know, in, in our work with couples, um, we take, um, it doesn't matter what the couple's coming to see us uh, for, uh, sexual brokenness or not, where we always start uh, is a series of questions. We just call it owning your story. And it goes back as questions about mom and dad, um, and then questions about money, what you saw growing up, uh, questions about God, how was God modeled, what was it like, uh, and family rules, family roles. And then there's a whole big section on sex and sexuality, like childhood years, Hmm. growing up. Because that's where the stuff has gotten formed because of even either the misinformation, uh, the bad information, the terrible information, the destructive information, um, or the silence. I got nothing. Nothing. But yeah. man, we're coming up with a story about it in our head. Um, and so the, the questions are just simply designed to get each individual in the coupleship to begin to examine that part of their life. Um, and so often they never have, and they don't really understand, you know, why, you know, I, I can only make love with the lights off and the sheets pulled up and uh, all of those types of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always reasons for every behavior. And then we get into, um, over time, uh, we talk about arousal template uh, because, again, sometimes that gets formed in a, you know, it's it's pretty amazing how something that would seem fairly benign can actually become uh, part of an arousal template. And every individual has one. Okay. Um, the arousal template, uh, and I'll just, you know, uh, an easy example. Uh, this was uh, when I was doing groups living in Atlanta. There was a guy there, and uh, he had uh, a, a sandal fetish. Now that, you know, when you say that, it sounds like, oh, wow, that's just, it's a creepy guy, right? Yeah. Uh, but it was like, you know, women in open-toed sandals was part of his arousal template. Okay. Okay, as he talked about that in group, uh, how that became like part of his arousal template, uh, I can't remember how old he was. It's been years ago. But, you know, he would do something wrong growing up, little boy, and mom would like take off her sandals, her sandal, and she would, you know, he would pull down his pants and she would spank him with the sandal, right? Mm. And I think this continued, you know, for way too long. Right. Um, But, you know, probably seven, eight years old, you know, at that age, we don't need to be spanking our children with sandals. With shoes, Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But... So him pulling his pants down, even when you're spanking a child and pulling down their pants, that's a humiliating act, right? And there's shame associated with that. It's something we need to think about um, because it can certainly, boy, that can morph into something that's not good in the long run. Right. And so this shameful, humiliating act coupled with the, 
open-toed or with the sandal, boy, that got linked in his arousal template uh, as far as the thing that would excite him because that's how this stuff works. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, the the more the more arousing an act, the more shameful an act. It's like when you think about it in terms of dopamine rush, something that's more taboo or shameful creates a lot more excitement and dopamine chemicals going off in our brain. So it's almost like the more shame, the higher the arousal. Wow. And so this shaming act coupled with nakedness, sexuality, and sandals, boom. So that was part of his, I mean, a big part of his arousal template. Yeah. Yeah. Which is problematic because there's sandals everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kroger <laughs> right. in the springtime. Yeah, exactly. What, what do you yeah. do? What do you do? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's pretty intricate work, though, being able to connect all those dots, oh, collect yeah. them, connect them. And uh, it's probably not going to be done, you know, in the living room or yeah. over dinner. Yeah, you know? yeah. Probably in order to really, um, you know, figure out arousal template, you know, that's work that's, that's uh, I think, done with a, a therapist that knows how to do the work. And just, it, you know, a lot of it's connecting the dots yeah. because, I mean, you know, again, when you just look at that, I mean, you know, when you hear about it, you go, oh, that sounds weird. However, when you think about it, go, dang, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's the phrase I was thinking mm. uh, when as you were talking earlier that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That makes that make a lot of sense, right? Oh, yeah. So would you recommend couples sitting down and asking the question uh, of each other, some version of, you know, what what is your experience of sex with me? And being oh, yeah. open to the answer to that question. Yeah, I think it's an important question. You know, part of our problem is we've got to get over our egos when it comes to sex. I'm out. Especially as men. Love my ego. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, But I think that's an important aspect because, you know, I I want to be a great lover uh, in every sense of the word. Uh, Like Jesus, right? Mm. I mean, Jesus was a great lover. And, and, and some people are going to go, he is saying that Jesus oh, was having I know. sex. I could hear it yeah. in my mind. Yeah, yeah. The, the Baptists are going to be writing you letters, not me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but it's like, no, Jesus was a great lover. And I think, you know, certainly the gift of marriage, uh, the sexual part of the relationship is, is part of what it means being a great lover. And I'm, talk, I'm not talking about mechanics and... Uh, performance and anything like that. Mm. I'm just simply talking about loving someone well, uh, which is a challenge for all of us as human beings, I believe. Certainly it is for me. Uh, Working on it, working on it. Working, yeah. Yeah, but it's just the idea of like, I want to be able to emotionally connect with the person that I'm most intimate with in my life. I want to be having conversations with that person about every aspect of my life. And certainly the the sexual part of the relationship is one where we should be having honest conversations and, you know, getting feedback around that from the person that we're, like, doing that with is probably a good idea. But if we've got a fragile ego when it comes to this, then chances are I'm going to be hurt, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to get into my feels and 
all of that, right? Yeah, I can tell you're talking about the man right now. Uh, I can see it all over you. you know, yeah. if, if men had a superpower, uh, this is, I believe, a, a men men's superpower, uh, you know what it would be. It would be pouting, pouting. and sulking. Sulking, yeah. yeah. Going in the corner, sucking my thumb. You can do that for yeah. years. Oh, gosh. And, you know, it works <laughs> so great. There's yeah. so much that happens when we do that. Oh, right? but we keep trying. Oh, yeah. You know? So yeah. I think being able to transition the conversation uh, hypothetically, as people are rolling through this, not starting to talk about how can we mutually orgasm, which yeah. is like, oh, that's the main goal. Oh, oh there's yeah. another myth. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, what we're trying to do is mutually connect. Yeah. And to get to a place inside of your relationship where you can say, if there's something going on that I'm doing or that we're doing that's keeping you from being able to connect, let's figure out how to get that out of the yeah. way. You know, exactly. Right. And and it is it I mean again it boils down to just communication. Uh non-judgmental communication to where we can talk about whatever we need to talk about. Uh, you know, that that idea of like mutual orgasm, it, it is amazing. Uh, the thinking around like somehow that is the goal in lovemaking uh, in in a in the coupleship. And mm-hmm. uh, I love it when Eva uh, looks at looks at the wife, looks at the husband, and she says, "You know, y- your orgasm is your responsibility, not the other person's." Right? Oh man, that Whoa, that is like a dude. therapist mic drop right oh, there. It, it is right. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of the guys hear that and go, "Oh, well, yeah, exactly." I, 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 I could go masturbate, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's not what she's saying. <laughs> she's talking about in the relationship together. Um, you know, we don't have to achieve orgasm, uh, and part of it is like, and in, in, you know, it, it it's not uncommon uh, where you know orgasm. Uh, women can have difficulties uh, achieving orgasm. However, it's one of those things that can be worked with and um, usually what we see there is a husband that's like just doesn't know how to do emotional connection Mm. because so much of uh, female arousal is that. And if she doesn't feel safe um, and secure in the relationship, she's probably going to have some anxiety around the lovemaking. (laughs) Right. So again, it's like everything begins to make sense when you talk this out. And so... He's got work to do, you know, outside of, has nothing to do uh, with what's going on in the bedroom. It has everything to do with what's going on every day mm. and how he's loving her well. Yeah. Um, or not. Or not. Or not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. that can be a very difficult conversation to have because often uh, for the male side of the marriage, it's a, there's a high level of frustration that the wife just isn't into it. Oh, there's yeah. a lot of anger and rage there because there's a sense of failure and it's owning the wrong thing. Yeah. Is what's going on. Totally. Um, and, you know, that's the thing, you know, stages in a marriage, you know, that infatuation stage, early, early marriage. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just la la land, you know, everything's great. And you probably having more sex during that time because you had more time. And then, you know, kids come along and then your lover becomes a mother. And for so many men, boy, that, that can create problems mm. because, you know, um, 
we we talk about in uh, in our uh, you know just working around sexuality. Uh, there's this kind of concept of the Madonna and the whore. I think Freud wrote about this, and there's certainly some truth in that. It's like you know the 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 wife that becomes the mother is now she's no longer kind of the the lover. You know the the erotic yeah. uh, you know kind of you know point of your you know romantic fantasies because now she's mothering uh and she's distracted and you're not all that anymore because baby's here uh and men uh sometimes have a really hard time with that and what you'll see is it, it will affect desire it will affect arousal um and but again uh, those are things that we may not even be aware that that's going on. We just know we're kind of pissed. Yeah. I, when people sit with me, couples sit with me, I'll often ask this question, who taught you about healthy sex inside of a marriage? Mm. Just give me give me a name, <laughs> any name, pick yeah, a name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have yet to have anyone at a pastor level or at a coaching level, counseling level, give me a name. Doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Mm-mm. So I then explained to them, okay, so you've just been flying blind here, both of you. You've just been flying blind. Yeah. Hoping this was going to work out. You know, you've heard about this magical destination, but no one's ever showed you how to get there, where it is, none of that. Oh, yeah. And that realization, I think, helps a lot of people. And then the second layer that I start walking people through is, well, what has affected your mentality about what that looks like? One of the most frightening statistics that's coming out now is that premarital sex is on the decline. Mm-hmm. A lot it of that is. because of pornography, but a lot of that because the results of that pornography is the first sexual experience, especially for the female, is often, and we're selective about this word, very traumatic mm-hmm. because it's mimicking porn. Yep. So let's fast forward that that's the first sexual experience, and then there's essentially anorexia in that not because of faith reasons, just because yeah. I don't want to have that experience anymore. It's terrible. Right. Yeah. And then the anxiety that's on the bride of I'm about to re-enter, this is about to re-enter my life. What is this going to be like? You oh, know? yeah. And this is how we start the marriage. Yeah, and, you know, some of the tragic stories um, or how marriages started, uh, the honeymoon sex and kind of what happened. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, sets the course uh, for the sexual part of the relationship. And a lot of times uh, it is not good. Uh, And then the couple just kind of rocks along and somehow some kids come along, but they never go, like, talk to somebody to work that through, to figure that out, to resolve that. Because, uh, you know, honeymoon sex oftentimes is like, you know, two kids on the playground, you know, wrestling over, a, you know, football or something. Uh, nobody knows what they're doing. Um, the, the guy thinks he does because he's watched a lot of porn. Yeah. Um, and so he's got it figured out. And then he's trying to act that out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's uh, she's probably seen porn because nowadays, uh, you know. The, it's everywhere. Yeah. The, Streaming the, services. It's just there. Young yeah. guys are telling young girls, like, this is what real women do. So she's trying to do that, be that. And she's not, uh, doesn't know how. And it's just, it, it's, it's a disaster. Mm-hmm. That happens more commonly than what people realize. Uh, it, it's not the Hollywood romance uh, rom-com uh, version of sex on the honeymoon. Yeah. It's usually bad. So something that you say, um, you don't say it very often, but you actually have said it on this podcast that you are Eva sexual. Oh, yeah. 
Part of that, I would assume, means that you have learned your wife sexually, her arousal template. You've been curious enough to hear what that is, right? Yeah. You know, I think it's one of those things that, especially young couples, where, where do you hear uh, about a you know a, a married couple that's been married uh, 40 years and and like they actually love each other, they like each other, they like spending time together. Now, we're not perfect. I mean, it's a marriage. We get sideways, right, believe yeah. me. Uh, but we've got those tools and the skills to be able to work through that. Um, but also, it's like the sexual part of the relationship is absolutely beautiful. Uh, man, they're I think it's kind of the way God designed it to be of like, man, the, the, the way that sex and marriage is supposed to work, you know, with, with lots of practice and lots of communication, um, man, there's, there's, there's nothing better, nothing greater uh, in, um, than that. And I mean, so many couples, they don't even, where do you, where do you hear that message? You don't. You don't. Yep. Um, and so, you know, the, all the stuff that even I've been through and dealt with in our own marriage uh, and the work that we've done, you know, it's all worth it. I mean, I, Eva says it, I say it, I, I wouldn't trade anything for it. I mean, mm. it, it was hell on earth at times. However, we hung in there. We continued plugging away. We continued uh, doing our work. And, um, and again, not that we've arrived, but man, it's pretty darn good. That's when you start sure. to engage in that, you you essentially separate yourself out and make yourself a 1% kind of marriage. Yeah. When you're able to engage in these conversations and figure out uh, in the ceremonies I used to do uh, as a pastor, the wedding, which those are, we could do a whole episode on weddings. Uh, but I talk about the joy and the mutual submission that is marriage. And when you're, especially when you're in the bedroom, when you're most vulnerable self physically with this other person, you know, after a while you start to build this palette of arousal with each other. And that becomes something that is a very sacred and secret part of what goes on inside the marriage. Other people don't know you that way. And that is a very, very distinct part of submitting to your spouse building that part of your life together, working hard on it together. It's not one person. I mean, if you're yoked together and one person is pulling very hard, the other isn't, you're just going to go in circles. <laughs> and that's a lot of what marriage feels like sexually for so many people. We're just going in circles. And the first conversation, let's be as frank as we possibly can. The first conversation around this is probably going to be difficult. And it may be unwise to have that first conversation alone with the two of you. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely going to be awkward. Yeah. There, there's no doubt. Um, but what we've discovered uh, just in our own journey is the more that we can talk about it, uh, the more that we avail ourselves of the resources that are out there. And today there's lots of great resources, whether that's a therapist or again, uh, it needs to be biblically based, right. like uh, some a counselor coming from a Christian worldview. Uh, but there's great, Great books, uh, just from uh, Christian therapists uh, that honor, you know, kind of um, our faith, uh, and we believe that it kind of is the way it was designed and created to be from a healthy sexuality standpoint, and what that looks like in a in a Christian marriage. Mm. So, 
let's talk about that just to wrap this episode up. Maybe some resources. Uh, uniquely, the work that the lasers have done about the basic desires of the human heart plays a big part in this conversation normally, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, Mark and Debbie Laser's book, The Seven Desires of Every Human Heart, is it's a great resource. Uh, Mark's book, uh, How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex, uh, Age-Appropriate Conversations for a Lifetime, that is my go-to recommendation mm. uh, for parents uh, in order to be able to talk to kids about sex because most parents don't, uh, and it needs to be talked about. Uh, the great thing about Mark's book is like uh, the questions where I talked about earlier, this idea of owning your story and questions around sex and sexuality. Mark has that in the first chapter. because Whoa, he chapter believes, one. He believes as we do, and uh, he believed, uh, Mark passed a couple of years ago, uh, that like you can impart healthy uh, to someone in an area that you are unhealthy around. Mm. And that is just, I mean, that's true in every walk of life, right? Man, does that connect to our previous conversation yeah. about helper trauma? Oh, my gosh. Why I, didn't you say that last episode? I, I, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> let's edit that back in. Yeah, uh, but it's it's certainly, uh, that's one reason we re- that's our go-to book that yeah. we recommend. Um, and then just another great resource, uh, our longtime counselor, uh, Dr. Doug Rosenau. Uh, Doug wrote Celebration of Sex. Uh, that book came out, a uh, funny story, uh, that book came out around 98, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, I was saw Doug all those years, and, you know, he's working on that book, and, you know, I always ask him, like, Doug, am I going to be a whole chapter, um, just, you know, my crazy <laughs> story, uh, but, you know, uh, Doug, that book is, uh, when it came out, uh, Christian bookstores, it was shrink-wrapped, right, because it had, like, charcoal pencil illustration drawings of like, you know, helping uh, couples understand positions and those types of things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember this uh, this resource because someone on the sly gifted it to, to me oh, yeah. and to my wife, you know. <laughs> yeah. So we were going through premarital, which ours was awesome because uh, a person who actually knows their stuff yeah. walked us through it. It's rare. Yeah, it was very rare, thank God. Uh, but this book, someone just handed it to us in the parking lot one day. Yeah. <laughs> now they had taken the shrink wrap off, oh, apparently. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, good. yeah maybe yeah. They, they had read it before, yeah. but yeah, it's, it set us off on, a, on an incredible path, actually. But you know, I mean, that just speaks again. That was 98, and yeah. they're shrink wrapping a book like that around... Probably the best book on Christian healthy sexuality. Yeah, because of drawings. That uh, it tells you tells you where we've been with this sex thing. Oh right? man, yeah. And and you know that book now is used. Um, I mean, most seminaries that teach any course, uh, it's rare uh, to that you know they to the M Divers, uh, but you know Doug's book is kind of the go to textbook that is used in seminaries across the country now. Yeah, good for them. Yeah. So there is hope is what we're saying. We always mm-hmm. want to make sure that's part of every episode that we do because mm-hmm. so many people find our podcast in a place of desperation. But there is hope in engaging in this conversation uh, about mutual curiosity and arousal inside of a marriage and the problems that feel so desperate and so dark and so ingrained Once you begin to communicate about those problems, they come to the light and you can receive help and healing over those particular issues and appreciate an incredible uh, sex life together. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that that's you know if people engage, uh, it, it's hard because there's so much shame around this on so many levels on both sides of the fence. But if they will engage uh, the process, man, there's so much hope. No matter what kind of sexual brokenness uh, that you're dealing with, uh, whether it's on the kind of the uh, compulsive, addictive side, or whether it's on the uh, aversion, anorexic side, mm. uh, you know, uh, there's 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 just a lot of resources today that that were not available back in the day. Yeah. So start the conversation. Amen. To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com.